Hey, look, it's season two of the Basketball Reasons Podcast, coming back at you with more Staples Center stories, more trade and front office move analysis, and just general Lakers talk with Laker fans and NBA fans alike. I'm your host, Charles Diamond, the Black Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Big Baller Bruce, although I might have to get a new nickname because LeVar has been really quiet this season, and I can't tell if that's just because he's been quiet or because the LeBron media machine, a.k.a. the toxic environment, quote-unquote, is drowning him out. But either way, this season of Basketball Reasons, I'm going to try and stay a little more closely attuned with the schedule, uh, the Lakers schedule, that is, focusing on releasing podcasts either early on in game days or, or on off days to help fill the void in our lives that occurs when the Lakers don't play. Uh, so that being said, the, the trades, the signings, the, the, the firings, the hirings, and the weird rule-oriented oddities that fill up the narrative portion of this podcast are going to at least be tangentially related to either the prior or upcoming game uh, in the Lakers season. Um, so today's story uh, of the only protested game in Lakers history, and I'll talk a little bit more about what that means, uh, is about as tangential as possible, um, considering that it starts off with a few thoughts um, from the Lakers' uh, year opening loss, 2019 opening loss to the Thunder, um, and somehow gets to a game against the Spurs that got protested in the league office. But if you're listening to this, uh, you definitely come to expect that out of me because the only way I know how to lay out a narrative is to meander wildly throughout NBA history. Uh, but at any rate, uh, in an attempt to have a bit more engagement with both the listeners of this pod and with other creators, this season episodes are going to be split into two parts. The first will be your typical Basketball Reasons segment, uh, story time from the archives. Try to be a little bit shorter, a little bit more condensed this season. Um, but then the second part will be a discussion with a guest, either a fellow Laker fan or a fellow podcaster or a fellow creator, uh, to review the previous Laker game or preview the upcoming one or just talk about things related to uh, either the Lakers or the team they're going up against. So, for instance, uh, with the New York Knicks heading to Staples Center to visit the Lakers on January 4th, uh, the episode you're listening to right now will feature Nick's Twitter celebrity, Samantha Rodriguez, also known as Fro Magnum, talking a little bit about the crossroads between the Knicks and Lakers situation, um, as well as what we can expect from the matchup on Friday. So, now that all the logistics are out of the way, sit back, relax, and enjoy the vibe of Season 2 of Basketball Reasons. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. No disrespect whatsoever. Oh, no. James on the roster and the front office being loudly vocal about their free agent aspirations this summer, it's almost a natural extension of those facts to, to get into the line of thought that often considers trading members of the Lakers' young core for players more ready to contribute to future Laker championships. Now, currently, with so many important players either out with injury like Bron, Rondo, and, and now Kuzma, uh, and JaVale and Tyson sort of fighting their own various illnesses or, or bruises or what have you. It's a great opportunity for Lonzo, B.I., Josh, Zoo, and, and everyone else who finds himself playing uh, due to this short rotation to, to show their worth, to show what they can do, and if the things they can do will fit with LeBron. It's important to realize, though, that even though we, we might think that Brandon Ingram is going to be a future star, I know I do, if his talents don't align temporally and stylistically, temporally, not like shrimp tempura, but you get what I'm saying. Stylistically with LeBron, he, he's expendable, straight up. Not because he's not talented, but 
but because his play style overlaps with bronze. And if the choice is between giving B.I. the ball and giving Braun the ball, it's no choice at all. That being said, I'm not here to paint doomsday scenarios about trading away the young core. I've been on record as saying, and you'll actually hear me go into this a bit more in the second part of this podcast, that I don't really believe in trading away young players unless the return is amazing i was mad at the delo trade and even though it wasn't a trade per se i was mad at letting julius go for essentially nothing when the lakers held the right of first refusal and restricted free agency now obviously i'm extremely satisfied with the result of having bron josh kuzma on the team however you want to figure out those draft picks being josh and kuzma on the team but i'm just saying my initial reaction was anger all that being said I just don't believe in, as a front office strategy, trading away young players. As guys grow, you want to give them a chance to succeed, put them in a position to succeed. In the case of D'Lo, I understand that Lonzo was coming onto the scene and Magic and Palenka wanted to clear the way for Zoe to be the starting point guard. I think D'Angelo had already made some like passive-aggressive comments through likes and comments on social media. And even though I don't really think that warrants trading a guy, especially a young guy, it was obvious that D'Lo wasn't going to fade softly into that good night as Lonzo came and took the reins of the team away from him. Um, of course, there's always the chance of a few scenarios happening that don't equal Zoe and D'Lo murdering each other on the floor of the UCLA training center. For example, uh, there's the idea that Magic himself has supported publicly of every day, uh, every day of practice being a battle. He, Byron Scott, Michael Thompson, they were all on record as saying that their practices in the 80s were battles and that if your teammates are willing to go all out against you in practice, they're probably willing to go all out against the opposition when the lights are on. Now, this isn't just lip service from Magic. He, he lived this. Um, I may be repeating known facts for some, but I'm sure not all the listeners know, so here we, here we go. We all know Magic Johnson, 1979, number one draft pick, thanks to Gail Goodrich going to the New Orleans Jazz and the Lakers receiving that pick in return. However, this story is about a less heralded Laker, one who actually... Uh, won two titles with Showtime in 1980 and 1982, and who was the incumbent starting point guard when Magic was drafted. Uh, for, for my old heads out there, you of course know that I'm talking about Norm Nixon. And if you don't know Norm Nixon, please allow me to introduce him. Norm Nixon was the type of guy who always had a chip on his shoulder, so it's no wonder that he and Kareem got along so well uh, during his tenure with the, with the Lakers. Norm grew up in Macon, Georgia, to a single mother, Uh, After his parents divorced when he was two, he and his two brothers were actually raised by their mom, their grandmother, and their aunt, who kept them pretty busy with with school, with sports, and with the Methodist church. Norm was actually an usher in the church, Uh, but don't think he was some scrawny usher boy. Kid Nixon, as no one has ever called him uh, until now, and I'm only referring to, to young Norm, but Kid Nixon was an absolute beast. He played football, he played basketball. And he did track and field, earning all-state honors uh, in the first two sports and winning a regional title in the high jump in high school. Uh, I actually read, I'm pretty sure this was on Wikipedia, that Norm was later in his basketball career offered free agent contracts by both the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Dallas Cowboys. I wasn't able to solidify that, to verify that anywhere else. But hey, it was on Wikipedia, so you know it's true. Anyway, back to that shoulder chip. 
Norm was apparently hell-bent on playing college basketball in the SEC. Makes sense, Georgia kid, crazy athlete. Uh, but in that day and age, if you were a black basketball player, you had to be real, 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 real special to play in the SEC. And Norm was special, but he didn't quite fit the bill. So he took his talents to Pennsylvania, where he played for four years at Duquesne for the Duquesne Dukes. Uh, and he was nasty there. He, his senior year, he was the Eastern Eight Conference Player of the Year, in addition to obviously earning all-conference honors. And he actually held the conference records for assists at the time that he left school. So take all that, all his achievements, what he'd been through in his childhood, his successful college career, all of it. And you have the 1977 Lakers first-round pick, Norm Nixon. The year is important because, as you know, if you've listened to this podcast, uh, Nixon's rookie year, the 1977-1978 season, started off with quite the bang, no pun intended, pun completely intended, I'm lying, uh, as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar essentially ended a man's career with a punch to the jaw. That man would be Kent Benson, uh, whose season was cut short because of that punch, and Benson would actually never be the same, didn't really have too much of a successful career in the league, uh, but Norm was on the bench for that. Norm Nixon was also on the bench during one of the most fateful nights in NBA history uh, when uh, the Rockets' Kevin Cunnert got into it with Kareem, a little bit of, little bit of post-jockeying position turned a little violent. Uh, that night lives on in NBA infamy, not due to Kareem per se, but due to Lakers starting power forward Kermit Washington. Uh, people who know this story know where I'm going with this. Uh, that's because as Washington went to defend Kareem, he got into it with Kevin Cunnert. Uh, and Rockets player Rudy Tomjanovich saw things escalating from the bench and got up off the bench to hop in and break up the fight. Uh, Kermit Washington, however, thought that Rudy was running in to join the fracas, getting to a little fisticuffs himself, and has been quoted as saying that he saw Rudy running at him, running at the area at 100 miles per hour, and Kermit swung directly at Rudy's head as he was running towards the fray. Rudy Tomjanovich, unfortunately, literally almost died on the court from that punch. Uh, he got a fractured skull with some reports that I read uh, uh, of his skull uh, saying his skull was dislocated, which I didn't want to lead with because that sounds terrible. I don't even know. I don't even understand how a skull can be dislocated. So I'm going to just say fractured because that's bad enough. Um, but in addition to that, facial fractures and the absolutely horrifying detail. Uh, and if you're squeamish, go ahead, take your headphones out. Go ahead, you know, fast forward through this. Um, the horrifying detail of Rudy Tomjanovich being able to taste spinal fluid in his mouth as he lay on the court in a pool of his own blood. I'm sorry about that, but this is a podcast. I got to paint the picture for you. You got to understand just how hard Kermit Washington hit this man in the face. Um, Rudy's all right, by the way. He's alive. Um, he coached the Rockets to consecutive titles, actually, in the mid-90s in 94, 95, when Jordan was taking his little break, his little hiatus. Uh, but the point of all this is to say that Norm Nixon in his early career saw a whole lot as a Laker. So with all that weighing on him, imagine his dismay. Imagine his pure shock and awe after being throughout all that when he finds out that Jerry West, the Lakers general manager, has hired a private investigator later in his career to follow Norm around. See, in the 80s, a lot of players were heavy into drugs, uh, cocaine being pretty pretty popular among NBA players, and West surmised that Nixon was one of these such 
players. Now, Jerry West has, has stated publicly that he loved Norm Nixon and that the only reason he tormented him and pushed him so hard was that he knew the potential that Nixon had. And when I say he pushed him, he pushed him. Uh, there are reports of West calling him soft, a whiner, lazy, not Laker material, uh, in addition to the whole you know, hiring a private investigator to follow him around. Which, by the way, I think it's hilarious that Nixon only found out because that investigator was a Laker fan and he didn't want to follow Norm around without letting him know what was good. So um, we're, we're a loyal bunch. Shout out to the Laker fans. By the way, this is a giant tangent. This, this whole thing is not the point of the story, but because the protagonist of the story is Norm and the story is very short, I figure I'd first close the book on his Lakers tenure before I moved on. So back to it. Fast forward. To 1983, it's weird saying fast forward when you're already talking about the past, but whatever. The Lakers and Norm have two titles under their belts, but after being swept by the Sixers and Moses Malone in the NBA Finals, shout out Petersburg, Virginia, shout out Virginia, Moses Malone, uh, Jerry West and Pat Riley decide that it's time to give the reins of the team to Magic Johnson. They also want to shore up the front court. They also want to find an off guard to pair with Magic. Now, Norm chip on his shoulder, you know, moody Norm had been brooding on and off, affecting both the team's performance and his sort of hot and cold relationship with Magic. And, and one day, he, he, I guess in a low, in a low moment, he, he, he just had enough. And he told uh, Lynn Rosen, the Lakers director of promotions, that he wanted a trade. Now, Norm would later take those words back uh, and say that, you know, he was being emotional. He was talking in the moment. Um, but I guess it was too late. Word got around to Jerry West. Uh, word got around to, to Jerry Buss, most importantly, um, who made a call to his friend Donald Sterling uh, with the opportunity, the, the chance of a lifetime, to take an all-star caliber point guard off the Lakers' hands for the price of a, a mediocre center named Swin Nader and rookie shooting guard Byron Scott. Sterling, being Sterling, bit, uh, bit the line, uh, took the bait, uh, and the rest is history. Now, West and Buss have been quoted at the time by saying, you know, obviously we pushed for Byron Scott. You're not going to trade Nixon for Swin Nader straight up. Um, and, and granted, I do think they wanted size. Moses did just absolutely wreck shop in the paint in the, in the previous finals. And they did need an, an off guard since they were trading away Norm Nixon. But I do believe and I think, you know, history corroborates the, the idea that the trade was made to make sure that Magic would have the ball in his hands all the time and that the team could move forward without Nixon brooding. Now, all that being said, you look at quotes from Lakers at the time, and it was a tough trade for the locker room. Uh, you know, Nixon might have been, you know, the moody guy he was, but he was a battle-tested soldier that players were ready to go to war with, even if they didn't see eye to eye. Uh, Coach, La Coach Riley wasn't pleased with the trade either, actually wore black after the trade. Uh, and the team froze out Byron Scott for a while until he paid his dues. Um, and like I said, West would claim at the time that the Lakers needed size and that Scott was a project. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it worked out well for, for everybody uh, involved. But now that we know Norm, we're going to go back in time again to December 15th, 1982. The culmination of all that history. Because on that day, the Lakers were playing against the, the hated San Antonio Spurs. And let me tell you, the game was a nail biter. The Lakers were down 116-114 at the end of regulation. And our good friend Norm Nixon was at the free throw line. 
And I guess Norm wanted to try a little trickeration, a little, a little finessing. Uh, either that or he was foreshadowing Markel Fultz from decades in the past because he appeared to pump fake the free throw at the free throw line, causing players from both teams to jump into the lane. Uh, even though the ball wasn't released, the officials called a double lane violation uh, and, and administered a jump ball at half court, and the Lakers would go on to win. Uh, but wait just a second. In this beautiful league called the National Basketball Association, when a team feels as if the rules have been missed or improperly interpreted uh, and, and that affected the outcome of the game, they can officially protest the outcome of that game with the league office. Uh, if you're wondering, like, why have I never heard of this before? Uh, that's because it's only happened. Uh, a protest has only been filed around three dozen times in the history of the league. And the protest has only been upheld three times. Uh, you've probably figured out by now that this game between the Spurs and the Lakers is, in fact, one of those three times. Uh, the Spurs stated that because Nixon never released the ball, it shouldn't have been a lane violation. The, the free throw should have been readministered. Uh, and Commissioner Larry O'Brien, in his infinite wisdom, agreed with them, decided that the game must be replayed. There should not have been a lane violation. The free throw should have been readministered. So on November 30th, the Lakers and Spurs lined up to start a game that was already started. Score 116-114, Nixon at the free throw line for one free throw. And, of course, in a cruel twist of fate, the Lakers ended up losing in double overtime, which is actually kind of cool if you think about it. I don't know if fans were there for that game, but, you know, you're expecting to only see, you know, a couple minutes of an overtime, and you get a whole nother overtime. That's a lot of free basketball, man. I wouldn't be disappointed. Um, another quick aside, I mentioned only three protests have been approved. One we just discussed, um, which was also during uh, Larry O'Brien's tenure between the Nets and the Sixers. A heavy-handed commissioner, O'Brien, seems like. A lot of, a lot of approving, these, approving these protests. I don't know. I wasn't alive. Um, regardless, the last upheld protest came in 2008 between the Atlanta Hawks and the Miami Heat, featuring former Laker great Shaquille O'Neal. Lesson of the day. Things always come full circle for the Lakers. Anyway, I hope sincerely that you enjoyed the meandering, a quick short story. If you want to discuss Norm, the protests, any rule interpretation, or just talk Lakers with me, hit me up on Twitter, at underscore Charles Diamond. And in the meantime, enjoy this brief musical interlude. When I come back, I'm going to be joined by a guest to discuss the Lakers' upcoming matchup. Well, it'll be tonight's matchup by the time you're listening to this with the New York Knicks. Season two of episode one. I should have said episode one, season two. Whatever. Basketball reasons, we back. I'm sitting here with Samantha Rodriguez, aka Fro Magnum. It's great to have you on again. You were what guest number three or guest number two? Guest number three. I think it's number three. 
guest number three of season one. Um, and if you listen to this, you probably already listened to that episode, so you know Sam. So welcome her back. Uh, as is tradition, Sam, say what's up to the people. What's up, people? She got mad close to the mic just now. <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. I don't know why I changed the mic over to her because she always yells when we're actually recording. But yeah, thank you for coming on uh, and, and bringing back basketball reasons. Thanks for having me back. There was there was a, a big emphasis on the back when you first introduced it. I didn't even know this was season two, so I feel sort of special. Yeah, I mean, season two is really just a, a mechanism for me to excuse the giant hiatus I took at the end of 2018. But hey, new year, new me, new BRP. That's Basketball Reasons Podcast. Wow. We're really out here. I wanted to just do BR, but that's Bleacher, and I'm not trying to get sued. And not even that. You're like a rapper, and it just it worked really well. The BRP, new me. I don't think it was well done. Have we mentioned that I rap before on the pod? Well, if you haven't before now, everybody knows. So and Charlie Dom. Look, all right, enough shenanigans. Enough with the tomfoolery. We're here for one reason, and that is basketball. All right. So before we get to the Lakers and Knicks game on Friday, uh, Samantha, as you know, I'm in love with cap mechanisms, it's cap talk, roster moves. Well, one of us has to be. So yeah. And the Knicks have quite the interesting roster situation on their hands uh, currently with the Turkish tank, a.k.a. Ennis Cantor. Did you make that up or yes. did you read that somewhere? No, that's That was incredible. Me. You should tweet that. The Turkish tank will do. Um, Cantor has expressed his desire to be elsewhere. And I'm just, I'm just curious about that because um, we play you guys on Friday and, and my team, our rim protection comes from a lot of weak side help and rotations, not a lot of one-on-one post defense. And Cantor is one of the few players in the NBA who still has that, that one-on-one post offense in his repertoire. Some might say that he's one of the best offensive players in the post that we have in the league. Um, definitely one of the best offensive rebounders. He's, he's sort of like a Vucevic light, if you will. Um, and as a big Vucci main fan, Vucci main fan. <laughs> As a big Vucevic fan, I'm also a fan of Cantor. I, I wanted, at some point in time, Vucevic to be on the Lakers. I can't say the same about Cantor, but I'm just happy that he's not going to play against us, or if he does play, he's going to be playing a reserve role, because I trust our guys a lot more to close out on Luke Cornette and his tall, skinny, sort of wa- waving in the wind body frame. That's CVS poisoning us. CV, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But he's, it's in New York, so he should be Dwayne Reed poisoning us. I mean... I suppose. Okay. Anyway, I'm happy Cantor's not playing. Uh, how do you know he's not playing? Not playing that much. <clears throat> but how do you know he won't start that game? I doubt it very seriously. But why? The Knicks have been quite clear in their intentions to develop their young players. But they've switched it up. You know what? Let's get there. First of all, can I just go back and... Before you go back, I'm going to move the microphone <laughs> over because you peeking. <laughs> At what point did Cantor express that he wanted to play elsewhere? I'm sorry, I, I jumped the gun. Oh, okay. He did not, he actually specifically said specifically said he did not want to play elsewhere. I just wanted to get some clarification there. He expressed a disappointment in his role. Okay. Is that's, that that's, fair? That's definitely a, a lot more accurate. Okay. So, now that he's expressed disappointment in his role, I'm happy that his role, should it remain consistently diminished, uh, I'm happy his role will be that against the Lakers because I trust us a lot more to switch, to run Luke Cornette off the line than I trust JaVale to be a solid post defender um, uh, on Ennis. Um, and, and, you know, I trust B.I. Or, or Moe or even Beasley to guard uh, Noah Vonley. Um, so, you know, especially unless Noah's like going off like he has been at certain points of, uh, of the year. Um, but back to, back to Cantor. Um, pretty interesting situation. You've already bought out a player this season. One Joakim Noah, who famously was too lit to play in New York. 
So I'm just curious as to what are your thoughts about this Cantor situation. He's an expiring contract, um, so his his presence on the team doesn't really have a lot to do with the Knicks' ability to get, get cap space this upcoming summer. Um, but from a Knicks fan perspective, what, what's up with Cantor? What do you think? So first of all, I just wanted to go back uh, to your point that the Knicks have made it clear that they want to focus on player development, and therefore you think he won't start against the Lakers. I just want to say that I think – Fizdale has been very consistent, and not just at that position, in rotating players and who gets to start, who doesn't get to start. We've seen it at the guard position basically like all season long, or we've seen guys just get DNPs and then sometimes they jump in. Kyoto started 23 games this season. It's half the games almost, if not more than half. It's a little more than half, yeah. A little more than half. Mitchell Robinson, who we got benched for five games into the season because Fizz was experimenting with lineups, has started 12 games, and Luke Cornett just started starting, and that's probably because he started the game, made like seven threes in the game, and was playing better than, than Cantor. So I like I understand, and we've had this discussion off this podcast, I understand that Cantor is disappointed, but I also think that as a team player, you have to look at the big picture and realize that he's not the only player getting, quote, unfair treatment, or he's not the only player that's not I'm, I'm sure he's not the only player that's unhappy with his role. I'm sure there's a lot of guys on the team that want to start. I've never once heard Frank complain. Granted, granted, Cantor is a much more established player than a Frank Nielakina, but I just think like it's being a little blown out of proportion. On the other hand, I love Cantor. I've always defended Cantor. You know I've always defended Cantor when like everyone is ripping him on Twitter because of his defense. Now, my issue with people ripping Cantor, is that I think it's a lot easier to notice somebody's flaws when they're on a bad team. Because as I recall last year, everyone loved Cantor. They loved his grit. They loved his grind. They loved that he could drop 20 and 20 every single night. I never heard a complaint about Cantor last year when we were a little better or when he was playing alongside Porzingis. Now all of a sudden it's like Cantor's the worst player in the world. And I'm like, that's really easy to say when the team has lost eight straight games and we're the second worst team in the league. So... I have no problems with Cantor. I would love to keep him if he's willing to be more of a team player and just understand that his role is changing as Fizdale wants to develop the young guys. And I would I would appreciate if he was just a mentor to those guys. Um, but that's really up to him. If, if, like I said, the buyout doesn't affect the cap and he wants to go somewhere else and he wants to take his talents to a playoff team, then by all means. Like, this isn't the first time he's been benched, though. Or, not, or he's played behind somebody. I get your point. I get what you're saying. I appreciate your your attempt at trying to um, defend the Knicks' integrity. An attempt to defend the Knicks' integrity. Um, but I'm a Lakers fan. Okay, I saw Byron Scott bring Jordan Clarkson off the bench and then start him for 20 games because we got to this part of the season where you do start to start younger players, worse players, uh, in an attempt to improve your 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 draft standing. And let's. Let's be real. Like, let's be honest with each other here. Who is the best player on the Knicks roster? Right now? Yes. I gotta think about my roster for a second. Give me a second. It's been it, a while. It's Ennis Cantor. The most consistent offensive player is Ennis Cantor. Okay, I would have said Tim at the beginning of the season, but that's sure. A, that's fair. Tim, Tim's a fair <clears> argument. But the point being, when you sit one of your two best players, we know what the deal is. And it's okay to not sit Tim because... You want Tim to keep playing, and granted, they, the, that front office has a relationship with Tim that requires him to play, but you want Tim to keep playing. So, that's fair. 
and I wasn't really thinking about the fact that Tim has not been benched once this season, despite how awful he's been playing over the last two months, I'd say, at this point. Um, however, just to let you know that I fully agree with you, in my notes, I really have it quoted, he wants to win, but tank. So I hear you 100%. Um, but I think Ennis has to understand that, and I think he does understand that. Like, you, like his quote is, I want to win, and I want this team to be a playoff team. But Ennis isn't dumb. Ennis is very avid in social media. He knows the Knicks are tanking. Everybody knows the Knicks are tanking. So my point is more... I don't have a point. I guess Ennis is expressing his, you know, disappointment because he's trying to sort of low-key be like, get me out of here, but I love this team. You're, you're thinking time. you're thinking he's using his words carefully as a PR as a PR maneuver. Yeah, granted, I do think he loves it here. I think he would love to stay here. I think he's he loves the fans, he loves the atmosphere, but like he said, and I think this is really fair and true of a lot of players, he's a competitor and he just wants to play basketball. So whatever makes him happy at this point. I think it's a tough position for any veteran to be in. Grant, he's really young, but he's been in the league a few years now. He, he is a veteran. <laughs> well, especially on this team, yeah. I, I, I do think it's funny, though, that um, obviously he was drafted by the Thunder. He played for the Thunder. The Portland Trailblazers signed him to a maximum offer sheet, a max offer sheet, and the Thunder matched that offer sheet. So he is a max player. He's a max NBA player. Also, I just think it would be hilarious uh, if he was on the Thunder right now, although they would probably look the exact same because Nurkic is kind of like, they're different, but they're kind of similar. You mean if he was on Portland? Yeah, if he was on Portland, excuse I was me. Confused. Who did I say? Doesn't matter. If he was on Portland. Nurkic? <laughs> no, because you said if he was on the Thunder, they'd oh, look yeah, exactly no. the same. Nurkic and Cantor are kind of similar. I think Cantor plays a little bit more defense, obviously, because he had that historic game where he like was the first person to literally do what he did. He had like 20 points, 18 rebounds. Seven assists, five blocks, and five steals. It's like the first time anyone's ever put up a line like that. That was uh, this week. I forget who they were playing. But anyway, the point of the matter is it's hard for any veteran to be on a team that is primarily focusing on developing their young talent. Uh, wins be damned. That's what I'm going to start saying. Developing your young talent wins be damned as opposed to tanking. Um, however, the point of tanking is to stockpile young assets, young players, who are prime for development, young pieces of clay ready to be molded into whatever roles they can be molded into. However, at times, uh, superstars come available, and teams feel pressure to trade their young players and or draft assets for superstars, as we've seen recently with Jimmy Butler, RIP Philly Rocco, RIP Philly Sarge, as we've seen with the Marcus Cousins, Buddy Heald and De'Aaron Fox making a nice little backcourt combo in Sacramento. Um, so, uh, with this Anthony Davis talk, uh, and the Lakers being, you know, pretty unwilling to trade their young core for Kawhi, Jimmy, Bradley Beal, any of those guys, um, you know, the Lakers and Knicks are at a, a bit of a similar point here, uh, with some people wishing that the Knicks would also offer up, uh, some of their young core for stars. Now, I want to just discuss for a little bit, um, that strategy as it pertains to the, the current roster construction of both the Lakers, and the Knicks. Um, in general, though, you are giving me an angry look right now. <laughs> Am I actually? I think it's just my RBF, so. I don't, I'm not going to say what that means. Uh, I don't think you're a fan of trading young players for superstars. That might be because you're traumatized as a Knicks fan. It might be because you're just a smart basketball mind. But 
How do you feel currently about trading Knicks players away? I think it depends on what you want. Do you do you want the the star to come here for a year, you get your ring, and then that's it? And now you're left with the the remnants of that championship team, or do you want to build something? I feel like I feel like if a star wants to come here and is going to sign like a long term contract, then that's great. But I, I I don't I don't know. Maybe I think you're right. I think part of me is just really skeptical. Um, that anyone would come here at this point. And then there's the other part of me that is like the hopeless romantic that like they're all going to come here because it's New York and it's the Mecca. And uh, That idea has been reinforced a lot lately for some reason. I think it's this whole obsession with getting Durant. But I also think this is why I don't belong in a front office because I am a very loyal fan and I, I get very attached to my players. Uh, hence why you will never hear me utter a word about trading Tim Hardaway Jr., which I'm sure you'll get to at some point in this conversation. Um, if I knew I was getting Durant, I'd want to trade for Anthony Davis, I guess. But I don't know that. And we've had that discussion, too. Like, trading and then not knowing, and then, like, you, you run the risk of sort of, like, getting screwed over in the end. When you say getting screwed over, do you mean trading... Wilson Chandler, Raymond Felton, Danilo Gallinari, Timofey Mozgov, and a 2014, 2014 first-round draft pick for Carmelo Anthony? I don't I don't know if that was getting screwed over. I mean, in the long term, would it have been better if, like, we kept all those guys? But, like, we also ended up with Melo, Amari Stoudemire, and Tyson Chandler. Real quick, I just want to, first and foremost, yes, that is called getting screwed over. Second of all, Amari Stoudemire was a free agent signing, not part of that trade. No, I'm I'm saying like the whole pack, like the whole the team that we ended up with. I want to let you know real quick who you got back. You got Carmelo back in that trade. Yeah. You got Sheldon Williams back, whose only claim to fame is I don't impreg- even know who that is. His only claim to fame is impregnating Candace Parker. Oh. Anthony Carter, who I don't even I don't even know who that is, and Ronaldo Balkman, who I mainly know because he's one of two Puerto Ricans who have played for the Knicks. Also, because I'm pretty sure he choked a coach uh, overseas. Or, like, punch somebody? He's banned from some overseas Well, okay, that aside, I'm not saying that the trade was good. I'm saying, like, the team that we ended up with wasn't that bad. Like, Uh, it was a pretty good team. We ended up with two superstars, Tyson Chandler, former Depoy. Like, I'm not, I'm saying... Who says Depoy? I do. Continue. Because I don't want to say defensive player of the year. It's just so many words. Continue. (laughs) Anyway, um, like... Versus, okay, we trade away a bunch of assets for Anthony Davis, and then I only end up with Anthony Davis and a Kristaps Porzingis who I'm even, like, I'm unsure of how he's going to return. If you told me I'm getting Kristaps back healthy, you told me I'm getting Anthony Davis, and you told me I'm getting Durant, now we're talking. I think that's the thing. You have to, you would need some type of assurance or some type of insurance that that play, that trade play, isn't the only play that that the Knicks have. Because what happens is you end up uh, with a roster of, what, a couple different superstars, two maybe two superstars, and a bunch of minimum players. Um, I'm, I'm getting a little bit of flashbacks right now because I'm currently thinking of the 2011-2012 Lakers um, as I'm pulling up the roster and stalling for time so I can figure out exactly who were the minimum players on that, but you get what I'm saying. We, we traded for Steve Nash, we traded for Dwight Howard, and then we ended up with, you know, Steve Nash, Dwight Howard, Kobe, and, you well, know. Well, you look at the roster. That's sort of what I'm saying. So, let's say I don't have that, that insurance of 
I end up with Durant. So now I have Anthony Davis and who? I have Alonzo Trier. I have Damian Dotson. Like, I understand those those guys look really good right now. It's also, it, this particular season also probably makes them look a lot better than they should. To get back to that point real quick, you're, you're 100% right. Um, it, it's easier for guys who are bad to look good as a unit as opposed to when they're playing a role with a, with a superstar and they, they can't fit in, fit with that superstar correctly. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's easy for Dotson to go off a couple times playing with Luke Cornett and stuff. But if he's not hitting shots when Anthony Davis is giving him the ball, he's going to become, you know, the most hated man in New York. Exactly. Um, real quick, just to go back to that previous point. So it was Kobe, Dwight, Powell, and Nash, right? And then you had 33-year-old Metal World Peace, uh, Steve Blake playing 26 minutes, Earl Clark playing 23 minutes, 36-year-old Antoine Jameson playing 21 minutes, uh, a young Jody Meeks who hadn't really hit his stride yet, Chris Duhon, Jordan Hill, who started one game, played 15 minutes, Darius Morris, and Devin Ebanks, and of course Robert Sacre logging six minutes a game. So when you end up trading for stars and your roster gets really top-heavy, that's what you end up looking like. You end up looking like that roster uh, and a team that won 45 games. Which, in the East, hell, you could win the East, but in the West, you're not making the playoffs. No disrespect. Um, okay. All right. I appreciate that. So maybe an, an overhaul of the young core isn't exactly what the Knicks need. But let's let's move on a little bit because these are the trades that the Lakers have not been prone to making. These sort of, let me trade one young player for something or, you know, a little bit of salary ballast for something. Um, I'm being vague here because I'm going to say something that upsets you. People have thought about trading Frank for something. Yes. Because he doesn't fit with what the Knicks want to do, but he might fit with what another team wants to do. The Similar to the way people think about trading Ingram for Beal. Because Ingram doesn't necessarily fit with LeBron, but we can trade him because of his high potential, his high value, to get a player who does fit with LeBron. Well, just out of curiosity, how how does... How are people saying Frank doesn't fit with what the Knicks are trying to do? Because the Knicks have a dynamic forward slash center, depending on how he is how he is platooned onto the court in Porzingis. So they need another dynamic guard. That's what some would say. Don't you think it's a little early to write Frank off? I've been on record as saying this. I do not believe in trading away anybody on their rookie contract. You have said this, so I will credit you for that. And as a Lakers fan, it hurts me to think of two players, one of which was traded away on his rookie contract, the second of which was not even extended, was not even held onto, despite the fact that the Lakers held his, restri- his restricted free Future Nick? It doesn't sound good when you cut me off. <laughs> We're recording on one microphone. Anyway, um, yeah, so, so for me, I... I don't like that type of trade, although for the Knicks, I think it might make sense because I think because of the type of player that Frank is, uh, his his extreme defensive potential, his already good defensive performance, uh, his ability to play on offense without holding on to the ball, his ability to cut, he's long, um, by developing a jump shot, which is obviously not a given, he can fit with other players where he's not really, you know, he's not really doing what the Knicks need him to do at this point in time. So... To get to you know a, a potentialist trade, um, some people have suggested doing the Tim Hardaway Jr. and Frank Neilkina for Wesley Matthews and Dennis Smith's uh, swap. And I know Nick's Twitter is excited about the prospect of getting Dennis Smith. Some are, but some, including you and your school of thought, would not appreciate trading Frank away. 
Well, I just don't like trading away. Like you, you basically said everything about Frank that everybody loves. I like he's a good defensive player, and I feel like we don't really have many of those. So, like, why am I going to trade away a guy who's already like shown his his potential? Not even his potential, like not even close to his ceiling. Probably I don't really know, but like, why am I going to trade that away and then be left with? Does Dennis Smith Jr. even play defense, or is he, or is he just a highlight reel of dunks? Well, he is definitely a highlight reel of dunks. But part of part of being a good NBA player, part of being a good offensive player, is that like even when you're not efficient, even when you're not, and I, I'm obviously I'm a believer in analytics. I'm, I'm, it's 2019, but I think part of the the argument that people who don't believe in analytics, the part of their argument is that you can't necessarily. You can't overvalue efficiency. I was just talking to, to the comeback kid about this. That's my roommate, the comeback kid, Cody Payne, about this. Kobe Bryant went 6-for-24 in, in Game 7 of an NBA Finals. An NBA Finals that the Lakers won. Granted, 6-for-24, that's a terrible percentage. But every time he shot the ball, he was double teamed. We got mad offensive rebounds that game. Because even though he was shooting poorly, the threat of him scoring was so high that the defense could not adjust to his quote-unquote poor shooting. They still had to play him tight. And that's what I sort of think um, a player like Dennis Smith brings. Even though he might not be an efficient scorer, he will attract so much attention that KP will get some attention. Also, KP will attract so much attention that Dennis Smith will get easier driving lanes. Also, Kevin Knox is going to attract. You have three dynamic offensive scoring threats that revamp your offense that might be, it might offset what you're losing when you're losing the defensive prowess of someone like Frank Nielakina. Okay. This is also assuming that we're discussing Frank Nielakina as the starting point guard going forward, correct? Sure, yeah. Okay. Again, this is not the front office in me speaking. This is the loyal Knicks fan in me speaking. And I, 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 do, I don't want to get rid of Frank quite yet. I'm not ready to make that jump just yet. I'm not ready to give up on him just yet. And if, if, if we're talking about it from that perspective, then I feel like there's a role for him on this team, even if it's not the starting point guard. I'm not going to lie. Because of D'Lo and because of Julius, uh, I'm completely desensitized at this point. You know? It, yeah, yeah. Once a Laker, always a Laker in my heart, but not necessarily on the books. That's all I got to say about that. Okay. Just before we get to the before we get to the Knicks Lakers matchup, um, you 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 so kindly uh, alluded to Julius Randle as a future Nick earlier. Can you just expound upon that? Why, why do you think that would be good? Well, okay, so interesting. If I, Ennis can't just clearly not part of the Knicks future, correct? And yeah. we all know that a certain big guy, about seven three, you may have heard of him, Christoph Porzingis belongs at the five, despite what Nick's Twitter thing is, because I don't know what they're talking about. The dude's 7'3", he should play center. And I think that we need a very capable, you know, pretty sizable, strong power forward beside him, and uh, he goes by the name of former Laker and current Pelican, right? Julius Randle. Now we have, this is, of course, because we probably won't have Durant if this is the case. Now we have Frank, assuming it's Frank, we have Tim, assuming Tim decides that he wants to start making shots again. We have Kevin Knox, we have Julius Randle, and we have Kristaps Porzingis. Still a very young team, but way more talented than this team. I, I think it's a, I think it's a pretty dope lineup. I think if the Knicks don't find a way to clear Tim's um, contract off the books, and, and you just assumed they wouldn't, 
then they would have enough money to sign a max free agent and offer a, a, a Julius Randle-level free agent a pretty nice contract. They'd just be locked up after that, um, barring some trades. But I think it could work out. Um, I still have the ultimate fantasy of like clearing cap space somehow and, and re-signing Julius. Well, Julius fires Aaron Mintz. I believe I actually had a dream about this. Julius fires Aaron Mintz and then decides he wants to play for the Lakers again. And Kendra and Caden move back. Uh, to LA with Julius and he, he rejoins the Lakers. But hey, uh, a man can dream. It definitely does sound like a dream. I don't know. I think Julius might have a, a little bit of a bitter taste in his mouth after the last experience. So, Well, licorice has a bitter taste too and people enjoy it sometimes. Very strange people. Doesn't your mom like licorice? Yeah, I didn't say she wasn't strange. Okay. Um, one more trade idea before we get going just because there's been some rumors about this. Um, Jabari Parker. I don't know what the deal is with that, and I don't know how I feel about it. I wish I had more to say about it. I feel like this whole situation with the Bulls is really odd, and I wish I had more information as to why they're so willing to like part with him so that I could make a, a better educated statement about why I do or don't want him on the Knicks. But what would the trade be exactly? So... I don't know exactly what the trade would be. Actually, I'll, I'll pull it up, but just, just so people know that we're not making this up, the New York Post um, released uh, a story, I think, a few weeks ago that the Knicks were interested in trading for him. Um, I personally think that's hilarious because when a guy says, I don't get paid to play defense, that just gives me a signal that I don't want you on my team. I'm sorry, he said that? Yes, completely. Actually, factually, he said that. All right, so we want to trade for Jabari, but we want to... Trade Frank. Yes, yeah, all makes a lot of sense to me. I think one of the trades was it was a three teamer where the Knicks would send away Emmanuel Moutier and Vonley and get back Jabari Parker and and Cameron Payne. Um, but maybe maybe Cameron Payne and Frank Nilakina could do their little Russell Westbrook dance thing. Absolutely could, not. Okay. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I definitely don't want to get rid of Vonley. Actually, I would like to re-sign him if that's okay with everybody. Vonley to me seems honestly like like if if Jabari Parker wasn't drafted two overall and was still hungry, like I feel like Vonley and him would be similar type of I'm players. I'm keeping a buck with you. You want to talk about the best player on the Knicks? He's been the best player on the Knicks from day one to right now. Most consistent, works hard, does everything he needs to do. I never have a problem with Vonley, like ever. So... I'm keeping him, re-signing him. Thank you. I don't need to worry. I don't watch enough Knicks games to to refute what you just said, but that sounded ridiculous. It does sound ridiculous, but and I'm talking more from the perspective of like Tim was the best player to start the season, absolutely 100. percent He was balling out like 30, 30 a night, and then Tim's drop off is wild. Either way, then Ennis Cantor, Ennis Cantor's problems are defensively. We know that. Vonley has just been, I, I won't say the best, as in the most talented, I will say the best in terms of consistency. So the most consistent player. Yeah, I'll say that. That's fair. I think that's fair. I think he, like, the reason I think it's, like, hard for anybody to say that or, like, someone who doesn't watch the games to notice that is because the things he does aren't necessarily that noticeable, but he's, he's contributed consistently. Like I, Like I said, I literally have never went on Twitter after a game to complain about Vonley. Ever. Okay. And ever since he wasn't inserted in the starting lineup, I think it's it's been it's been good. All right. Well, we're running a little short on time, so let's get to the the Lakers Knicks matchup. We're recording this on January third. The Lakers play the Knicks on January fourth in Staples Center. Uh, the Lakers are going to come to MSG. I said come because I'm in 
the New York metro area right now, for those who aren't aware. Um, and we will actually be, uh, Ms. Magnum and I will be in attendance on March 17th. Hopefully. Lakers come to the garden. Definitely. Definitely. Vlog part two coming your way. Back to the game. Um, the Lakers are in need of a win right now. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's been a tough stretch. You know, it, it hasn't seemed like a tough stretch just because we beat the Warriors on Christmas, but losses to the Kings, Clippers, and Thunder, uh, in the past, you know, five games or so really, it, it, it's just left a sour taste in their mouth, including the loss to the Grizzlies and the loss to the Nets. It's just been a tough 10 games. Um, it has also been a tough 10 games for the Knicks, who've lost eight straight, I believe. Yes. So, um, it, if the Lakers were to lose to the Knicks tonight, I think there would be a riot inside of Staples Center. Um, I don't believe we're going to lose to the Knicks, although with Kuzma out, the lineups get a little wacky. You know Luke gets creative with the rotations. Um, the only good part about Kuzma being out is that Luke won't play him at center, which, God forbid, that happens again. <laughs> but we saw yesterday, uh, after Kuzma went out, um, in the fourth quarter, it became a lot of Give Brandon Ingram the ball and let him drive to the cup, and that just, you know, that was that 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 only works when he's not tired and bricking, you know, his his one dribble pull up mid range. I also love the Brandon Ingram one dribble pull up mid range, so don't even don't think I'm a hater at all. Um, that being said, I don't want to look past the Knicks in this game because Frank's a tough defender. Kevin Knox is going to attack if Cornette's hitting threes. If Vonley's putting pressure on our interior defense because we don't really have anybody with his girth to defend him, um, and if we also start off the game on, like, three or four JaVale McGee post-ups on Luke Cornette, and he tries that, like, running, sweeping hook shot, then, you know, who knows? We might end up in a hole, and that's just not what you want to do against a team that uh, has lost eight straight games. So, Sam, uh, for the Lakers fans listening, do you have anything that we should look out for, anything that we should be worried about um, that we might be overlooking because the Knicks are such a poor-performing team? Um, well, my thoughts, I'm pretty sure LeBron's going to come back for the game because he's the ultimate Knicks troll. Uh, so I think you guys will win by default. Um, but if that's not the case and LeBron is out and Kuz is out, um, I think you mentioned Frank. I'll always put Frank in there as a good defender. I would like to see Frank on Lonzo. That was fun. Um, other than that, I would I would probably be on the lookout for Knox, and if not Knox, then I would hope that it would be Timmy. Uh, but again, this is me just assuming that Tim is going to return to uh, the beginning of the season, Tim, at any given moment, which would be really great. Um, I would appreciate a win, just because it's your team, and uh, I I like to having bragging rights every now and then. But then again, I have Kristaps Sporzingis, so I have eternal bragging rights, and uh, that's it. We just had a little excess noise. I'm going to edit that out. Um, I think it's easy to forget, just because LeBron is LeBron, that he is, in fact, human. Steph Curry missed, what, 11 games over the course of three weeks with a similar groin injury. I don't know if LeBron's going to come back. I think they want to rest him until he's you know absolutely sure, because the last thing you want him to do is re-injure his groin in a February 4th matchup against the 9-and-20-whatever New York Knicks. January 4th, stop rushing. You said February. Wow. <laughs> Secondly, I was only trolling you with that. So don't worry. If LeBron needs to sit out, I'm perfectly cool with that. I really don't need him coming into my house. And Oh, we're going to LA. Yes. Never mind. He could come back if he wants. Anyway, the point <laughs> is that the Knicks are bad. The Knicks are trying to be bad. 
it would suck to lose to them. But I'm going to be positive. I'm going to say this is exactly what Brandon and Lonzo and Josh uh, need. Um, they, they, they need a game to sort of get back on track. Zubats needs a game to get back on track. Lonzo can continue being aggressive, hopefully for an entire 48 minutes um, and not just for you know a couple minutes here and there. Um, really need everyone to make their free throws, of course. But hopefully this game won't come down to that. Hopefully this will be a little bit safer of a win. I mean, listen, the Celtics just lost to the Suns, so who knows? Wow, that did happen. Hey, deep book's a problem. That boy, he could take you inside, he could take you outside. <laughs> Shout out Famous Los. <laughs> and the editor that edited that. Pretty fantastic job. Shout out NBA Playmakers. <laughs> check, out, check out NBA Playmakers on YouTube. Some fire content. Fire content. Great footage compiled um, by a great editor slash producer. Anyway... <laughs> Mr. Rodriguez, before we sign off, anything you want to plug? Anything you want the, 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 the people of Laker Nation to, to look out for from you? Uh, plug your Twitter. Twitter's always good. It's at FroMagnum underscore underscore, I believe. Always get those underscores confused. But if you type in FroMagnum, I'll come up with a little Puerto Rican flag on the side. Can't miss it. Um, hopefully, we'll get back to uh, some Knicks content very soon following this podcast release. So, check it out. All right, so that brings us to the conclusion of Season 2, Episode 1 of the Basketball Reasons Podcast. But before we go, you know I had to hit you with the inaugural countdown of Season 2. And since I do have a guest sitting right here, uh, Miss Rodriguez, why don't you go ahead and hit me with that 3-2-1 uh, count. 3-2-1. The Lakers did an excellent job taking the game to Paul George last night. Uh, forced him to sit on the sideline with three fouls in the first quarter. And for a second, it looked like the boos were really getting to him and his game was really off until halftime came. And then he brought his team, well, I'm not going to say he brought his team back because it was a pretty close game, but he, he brought his team closer to victory in the third and pretty much just destroyed us in the fourth. was an absolute assassin and was super cold. And I forgot until the game ended that that was the whole reason I wanted him on the Lakers in the first place. You know, I was talking with... Uh, a couple of a couple of members of the LFR family on Twitter. Shout out Zane. Shout out Raj of Unwritten Rules. And they were asking people, you know, are you going to boo Paul George? And I wasn't at the game, but I was booing from my apartment in New Jersey. But after that fourth quarter, I remembered that I love this guy, and he is f-ing cold. And I'm not going to be a hater anymore. Yes, I wanted him to join the Lakers, uh, but we got LeBron. Um, he has Russell Westbrook, and Russell Westbrook's you know four for twenty two performance. Um, and as long as he's happy fishing in Oklahoma City, then I'll be happy with Braun, Paul George. No more hate. Duke can ball. Um, that being said, you still boo him. I'm just not going to. That's the buzzer. I'm out. This has been the Basketball Reasons Podcast. Until next time.